Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, ratchetandratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 3. The next day, Saturday, began as a busy one for David. In the morning, he dropped off the trailer at the U-Haul Center in Hernando, 15 minutes north of Mason's Corner. Upon returning home, he finished unpacking. He spent a couple of hours opening boxes, sorting through items, and placing them in rooms throughout the house. King awoke from a nap and trailed him, whining. David ignored the hound for a while, then finally relented. Okay, I know you're bored, David said to the dog. How about we go to the park? King barked his approval. The town park was located off Main Street. It was 11 o'clock. The sun's rays sizzled mercilessly, and the humidity was cotton thick. He was thankful that he had bought a cold bottle of water with him. He clipped the leash to King's collar, and they walked across the grass at a brisk pace. Magnolia trees bloomed, waxy and lush, their flowers emanating a sweet aroma. In the distance, a small lake gleamed in the sunlight, and a red sign warned, No Swimming. David didn't see anyone there. Most natives probably stayed inside at that hour to avoid the heat. But then, a black Labrador darted around a maple tree ahead. David was so startled that he let go of the leash. King, thrilled to see another canine, took off after the Labrador, barking. King, come back here. David chased after the dogs. Moments later, he found the hounds playing in the grass, near a young black woman who lounged in the shade of an oak tree. Sitting crisscross applesauce on a blanket, I don't, I don't say Indian style, y'all, I'm sorry, I don't. I know, but I don't. I know, but I don't. She didn't seem troubled by the dogs. She watched them, giggling, as if viewing a funny cartoon. David approached, panting. He was in good shape, but the humidity sapped his strength. The woman turned and smiled at him. He suddenly found it even harder to breathe. She had the most beautiful smile he had ever seen, with dimples so deep his fingers could disappear in them. Come enjoy the show, she said, and indicated the dogs. King was striving mightily to sniff the Labrador's rear end, and the Labrador nimbly eluded him. Is he yours? It took David a second to realize that she had spoken to him. In addition to her smile, she possessed sparkling honey-brown eyes. 
he easily could have looked at them for hours. What's wrong with me, he thought. I never act like this when meeting a woman. Uh, yeah, he's mine, David said. King, um, hasn't had any female company in a while. I didn't mean to let him escape the leash. Your dog startled me. She favored him with another dazzling smile. Sorry about that. I usually let Princess run loose when I'm here. She doesn't bite. So she's named Princess. That's kind of funny. King, meet Princess. He thought he sounded corny, but no other witty comments came to mind. Smiling again, the woman unwound from her cross-legged sitting position and stretched her legs in front of her. He tried to avoid staring at her, but it was impossible. She was lovely. Dressed in denim shorts and a yellow tank top, she had mahogany skin and a toned, shapely figure. A physique like an aerobics instructor or a track runner. Her dark brown hair was tied into a ponytail that dangled to the middle of her back. Best of all, she didn't wear a wedding band on her ring finger. Thank you, God. There was a moment of silence in which he realized, with some surprise, that she was checking him out as openly as he was admiring her. Our dogs have introduced themselves, she said, and he caught her soft Mississippi accent. How about we introduce ourselves to each other? He knelt on the grass and extended his hand. I'm David Hunter. Nice meeting you, David. I'm Nia James. He thought he felt electricity when their hands touched, but maybe that was wishful thinking on his part. However, their handshake did last a second or two longer than was customary. I haven't seen you in town before, she said. I would have remembered seeing you. Heat flushed his face. She was flirting with him, shamelessly. He felt as shocked as the class nerd who learned the school's most popular cheerleader had a crush on him. I only moved here yesterday, he said. I live on Hunter Drive, and in the Hunter house, actually. She blinked. You're related to Richard Hunter? He was my father. Oh my God. She put her hands to her mouth, blushing. She grabbed the hardcover book beside her and showed him the front cover. It was one of his father's controversial, best-selling novels, entitled Colored Only. I've read all of his books, many of them twice, she said. He was brilliant, an amazing writer. She put her hand on her chest and appeared to regain her bearings. I'm so sorry about what happened to him. That was a terrible accident. He nodded somberly. Did you know my father? Not really. I saw him around town all the time, of course, but I only spoke to him once or twice. He signed my book. She cracked open the cover. He read the inscription on the fly page. Tanaya, the prettiest girl in town who has great taste in literature. It seemed a typical comment for his father to make. His dad had been a notorious ladies' man, though Naya was surely no older than 26 or 27, young enough to be his daughter. You favor him, you know, she said. I've seen photos of Mr. Hunter when he was in his 20s. You could be his twin. So I've heard. To be honest, I didn't know my father well. He was pretty much a stranger to me. He was rarely so open with a new acquaintance, but something made it easy for him to trust this woman. She radiated a comforting aura. I'm sorry. I know how that feels, sort of. 
My father died when I was a little girl. I only have these vague memories of what he was like. How long have you lived here? He asked. She laughed. I'm a homegirl, David. I've been here all my life, mostly. I grew up here, went away to college at Jackson State, then moved to Houston for a few years. But that didn't work out. Long story there. She shrugged. I've been staying with my mom for the past year that I've been back. Do you plan to stay here for a while? Maybe another year or two. Mason's Corner is a nice, quiet town, but I think it's obvious that there isn't much to do here, socially or otherwise. I've been thinking of moving to Atlanta. Really? I'm from Atlanta. And you gave up the ATL to move here? She reached forward and placed her warm palm against his forehead. Are you sick? She laughed. He chuckled. It's a long story. Maybe I'll tell you later. How about over lunch? I'd like that, she said, and wriggled her toes in the grass. Her bare feet were smooth, with crimson pedicured toenails. A gold anklet glittered around her slender ankle. Talk about a stroke of good luck. He could hardly believe that a routine walk in the park had brought him face to face with such a fine woman. But he had an inexplicable feeling that he and Naya were meant to meet. Intuition told him that it was destiny. His rational mind, however, told him that he was only infatuated. Still, he decided to push his luck one step further. Cool. So are you free for lunch this afternoon? A dimpled smile curved across her face. One o'clock, she said. As was his habit on Saturday mornings, Franklin Bennett rode his Schwinn bicycle downtown. He enjoyed the exercise and, even better, catching the latest gossip. Franklin loved Dark Corner on summer mornings. On such mornings, the town moved at a slower pace than usual, which was really slow. Folks sitting on their porches, sipping coffee and reading the Chester County Ledger. Others were busy with yard work. Children played in the streets. Many people, children and adults alike, waved to Franklin as he zipped past. He returned the greetings. Riding his bicycle made him feel like a youth again, cruising throughout town. When he reached Main Street, he pedaled to Shirley's Diner. Morning, folks, Franklin said. A scattered chorus of morning, Doc, greeted him. Shirley's was a simple place. A ceramic counter wound along one side of the restaurant, with about ten stools in front of it. Throughout the middle, a row of tables stood. Along the opposite wall, there were vinyl booths. The delicious aroma of eggs, hash browns, sizzling meat, and coffee wafted through the air. Every customer there was a regular, mostly men, who breakfasted there so often the waitresses didn't need to ask what they were ordering because they always requested the same meal. One of the waitresses on duty, a busty woman named Gloria, brushed past Franklin balancing three plates in her hand. Scrambled and ham coming right up, sugar, she said to him and winked. Franklin looked for a seat. Typically, he liked to eat with a different person each time he visited. Everyone had a unique, fascinating story to tell, and it was all a piece of town history in one way or another. He had become an expert on the history of Mason's Corner, not from reading books, but from talking to a vast array of people. He spotted Van Jackson, the police chief, in a corner booth, sipping coffee and reading the paper. Mind if I sit with you for a spell, chief? Franklin said. Sure, Doc. 
Have a seat. Van Jackson had been the police chief for 11 years. Before him, his father had been the chief. Balding and in his 40s, Jackson had a long face that always seemed to be stretched into a sad expression, as if he had recently received bad news. Some of the folks called him Sad Jackson. He was a somber man, but he had a sharp mind. Franklin enjoyed talking to him. Gloria slapped down a glass of orange juice in front of Franklin, then refreshed Jackson's coffee. Jackson folded his paper. How are things, Franklin said. Jackson added cream to his coffee. Things are things, Doc. Ain't nothing much happening here. The usual mess. I have a new neighbor, Franklin said. David Hunter. He moved into his father's house. Is that so? Jackson raised his eyebrows. New Hunter had a boy, but I had never seen him. Moved into his family's place, did he? He arrived yesterday. He's a nice young man. Friendly. Wife? Kids? He's a bachelor. Oh, Lord. Ruby's going to hound him to death. She's a sweetheart. Van Jackson's wife had died of cancer two years ago, leaving him to raise his teenage son by himself. Ruby, convinced that a single man was a dead loss in the kitchen, had constantly nagged Jackson about joining them for dinner. Jackson had accepted her offer a handful of times, but he didn't need Ruby to cook for him anymore. Word was that the chief was dating Belinda Moss, the town librarian. I'll stop by to say hello to the hunter boy, Jackson said. He's the kid of the only celebrity this town's ever had. Reckon that merits a welcoming party from the chief. That'll be good of you, Franklin said. A minute later, Gloria appeared and placed a plate heaped with scrambled eggs, country ham, hash browns, and buttermilk biscuits in front of Franklin. Franklin began to butter a biscuit. The hunter boy ain't the only new resident we have, Jackson said. He sipped his coffee. Somebody moved into the Mason place. Franklin dropped his butter knife. It clanged against a plate. Yeah, I about spilled my coffee when Wilson told me, Jackson said. Rosper Wilson was a real estate agent who handled transactions for most of the properties in town, including Jubilee, the Mason estate. Who moved there? Franklin picked up his knife again. Black man with a funny accent, Wilson said. Sounded like he was from France. Can you imagine that? Ain't never heard a black man with a French accent, though I know we got black folks over there. Have you seen this Frenchman? Seen him driving around. Got one of them big Lexus SUVs. I ain't talked to him, though, or seen anybody with him. Odd. Franklin dug into his eggs. I wonder why he chose the Mason place. He ain't buying it, Wilson said. Said he was only going to rent it for a few months. He was real secretive. Wouldn't tell Wilson much about his business. Strange indeed, Franklin said. Renting an enormous, dilapidated property like that for only a few months. I wonder if this fellow's aware of Jubilee's reputation. Jackson shrugged. He looked out the plate glass window. He glanced at Franklin and nodded, indicating that Franklin should check outside. Across the street... A silver Lexus sports utility parked in front of the hardware store. A broad-shouldered, dark-skinned man with a shiny, bald head climbed out of the vehicle. He was dressed sharply in a gray suit. He strode purposefully into the store. Franklin frowned. Hearing this news about the Mason place and seeing the mysterious new resident made him uneasy, 
though he could not place his finger on why. Maybe because it didn't make sense. A foreigner renting an antebellum mansion in rural Mississippi? Either he was planning to refurbish the place and turn it into a tour destination, or he was up to something he had no business doing. I should not leap to such conclusions, Franklin admonished himself. The fellow could be an upstanding gentleman with a legitimate interest in the property and the town. He was allowing small-town xenophobia to color his thoughts. However, Van Jackson was frowning too. Excuse me, Doc, Jackson said. He put on his hat. I've fiddled away enough of the town's money this morning. Gotta get back to work. See you around, Chief. Franklin watched him leave. He noticed the chief kept his attention riveted on the hardware store across the street. Franklin could not help himself. The chief was suspicious. Now, so was he. What was that man doing at the Mason place? At one o'clock sharp, David parked in front of Mac Daddy's barbecue. As he climbed out of the Pathfinder, a green Honda Civic pulled into the parking spot near him. Naya stepped out. Right on time, she said. She had changed to a pink blouse, khaki shorts, and sandals. She had let down her hair, too. It flowed to her shoulders in curly waves. My father was right, David said. You are the prettiest girl in town. She smiled. He opened the restaurant's glass door for her, and they went inside. It was a small, neat place, with lots of windows. From the sides of the takeout counter, it appeared that they did a lot of carryout business, but there were tables spaced throughout the dining area. The mouth-watering aroma of barbecue spiced the air. The restaurant was busy. People were lined up at the carryout counter, and all the tables except one were full. David and I grabbed the only vacant table in the corner. David picked up the single-page menus that lay nested between the salt and pepper shakers. I already know what I'm going to eat, she said. The catfish sandwich is delicious. I grew up on them. Then I'll get the same, he said. A waitress came to take their orders. They asked for the catfish sandwiches and sweet tea. The server returned quickly with the drinks. As they sipped tea, their gazes met. They watched each other for a long, quiet moment. A pleasant tingling building in David's stomach. He felt as though he was in a movie, one of those sappy romantic comedies like Sleepless in Seattle. He had never had an experience like this with a woman, and it frightened and thrilled him all at once. Then, at the same time, they smiled, an unspoken acknowledgement of the rare chemistry that coursed between them like electrical current. So, Naya said, you were going to tell me why he moved to Mason's Corner. He put down the glass of tea. Well, it's because of my father. I mentioned before that I never knew him that well. I decided to come here and get to know him, I guess. By living in the same house and being in the town where he spent so much of his life, I'm hoping to... He made a grasping motion with his hand, straining to find the right words to express himself. Understand him, she said. That's part of it. Understand him and understand myself. Because I'm his son... I think I picked up certain habits, talents, and quirks from my dad. For example, he used to drink strong black coffee, never adding sugar or cream. When I was a kid, I used to think it was disgusting. Now, guess how I always drink my coffee? Strong. No sugar, no cream? He snapped his fingers. 
Exactly. I never thought I liked coffee that way, but it's the only way I like to drink it now. And there's a bunch of other things I think I picked up from my father, subconsciously. I'll never learn everything about him, but if I can just learn more. It's important to me, Naya. I can't explain it any other way. I understand what you mean, she said. I really admire you for having the self-awareness and the guts to come here and sort of absorb yourself in his life. That says a lot about you. I didn't have anything pinning me down in Atlanta. My mom and my sister live there, but they're doing fine. I'm self-employed and can do my work from anywhere. If there was ever a time to do some exploring, this is it. What kind of work do you do? I design websites. I majored in computer science at Georgia Tech, then worked for a few years at a technology consulting firm. But corporate America wasn't for me. I started my business two years ago, and I haven't looked back. What do you do? I have a graphic design company. I run it out of my house. So you own a business too. That's cool. How long have you been doing it? For almost a year, she said. I went to Jackson State on the track scholarship, ran track on the pro circuit for a minute after I graduated, then injured my knee and had to retire. I taught high school for a little while, first in Houston, then here. Then I took the plunge and started my own company. And I haven't looked back either, she smiled. He smiled too, genuinely impressed. That's too bad that you had to quit running track, but you definitely kept yourself in great shape. Thanks. I run and work out just about every day, but I don't miss track competition that much. I love being my own boss, building something of my own from the ground up. I know you understand what I'm saying. Oh yeah, I hear you. People are surprised when they find out that I'm not a writer, though. They always expect me to follow in my dad's footsteps. Do you plan to write someday? He laughed. Are you kidding? I love to read, but I can't write worth a lick. That's definitely something I did not inherit from my dad. The waitress delivered their meals. Catfish sandwiches with coleslaw and french fries on the side. Before leaving, the waitress peered closely at David. You any kin to Richard Hunter? She said in a thick Mississippi accent. He was my father. Willie, I told you. She shouted at somebody behind the counter. This here's the Hunter boy. David blushed. People turned to look his way. Many of them nodded and smiled, or only stared as if trying to see the resemblance between him and his dad. The waitress clutched his shoulder. I was awful sorry to hear about what happened to your daddy. I'm praying for your family. Thanks, David said. He blew out a pent-up breath when the waitress left and people looked away. Naya smiled, amused. Get used to the attention, sweetie. Your dad was the only celebrity who ever came from this town. Everyone is going to want to check you out. Seems like it. He picked up his sandwich and began to eat. As Naya promised, it was delicious. What was it like growing up here? She popped a french fry into her mouth. Wonderful, really. Quiet. Safe. Lots of the people who live here have been here for a long time, so mostly everyone knows one another. It was a fun place to grow up. I have two older brothers. Neither of them live here anymore, and they let me join them on all kind of adventures. Hunting, fishing, catching snakes. Snakes? Sure. Not poisonous snakes, silly. Though we did trap a water moccasin once. 
My mama would have thrown a fit if she had known. I still haven't told her, she laughed. Growing up in Atlanta wasn't anything like that. The closest I came to a snake was in the city zoo. There's nothing like living in the country, but I love big cities too. Why did you leave Houston to come back home? I'll tell you, David. Another time, I promise. It's something I don't like to talk about. I'd hate to ruin the good time that we're having. Tell me whenever you're ready. We all have issues, he thought. I'm not baggage-free either. Shoot, this move to Mason's Corner is so I could work out my problems. He took another bite of the sandwich. A couple of people have mentioned the walks that my father would take around town. Would he go anywhere in particular? He walked through the park a lot, and some of the trails. He walked Main Street all the time, too. He never talked to anyone while he was walking? I read somewhere that he'd bite your head off if you said anything to him. He kept to himself. I only had a real conversation with him once, and that was in over 20 years of seeing him around. But he usually say hi to me and people like Vicky Queen, girls he thought were pretty. Your father was a flirt, but he was charming about it. Not like some nasty old man. Did he have any friends here? She sipped her tea. Hmm. He'd go to church pretty often. He went to New Life Baptist here in town. I think he was good friends with the senior pastor, Reverend Brown. I've been going to the church since I was little, and I see them talking sometimes. David made a mental note. I might visit the church tomorrow morning. The waitress returned. She placed a dish of peach cobbler on the table and two spoons. I hope y'all save room for some dessert, the waitress said. Wooly says this is on the house, because the hunter boy's new in town, and y'all make such a pretty couple, too. Oh, that's so sweet, Naya said. She called out across the room, Thank you, Willie. David couldn't wipe the embarrassed grin off his face. I might as well tell you, Naya said, dipping a spoon into the cobbler. In a tiny town like this, an unattached young man and woman having lunch is big news. By this evening, they'll be speculating about when we'll get married and what we'll name our kids. You are too much, he laughed. Speaking of this evening... Are you doing anything? Oh, yeah. There's so much going on in Mason's Corner. I run into fine, available young men all the time here, you know. My social calendar is kicking. He grinned. How about dinner and a movie? We'll have to drive to South Haven. They don't have a theater here in town. Is that okay? That's fine with me. Okay. Pick me up at... Wait a minute. You don't have a girlfriend waiting for you in Atlanta, do you? Or a wife? I'm an unrestricted free agent. No girlfriend, no wife. What about you? Nada. I date here and there, but like I was saying, Mason's Corner doesn't exactly have it going on socially. He was more relieved than he dared to let on. So when should I pick you up? Seven? Seven sounds good. Cool. That gives me time to go home and cut the grass. The lawn hasn't been cut in weeks. Wait a couple hours till it cools off some. I don't want you to have a heat stroke. Good point. It gets hot in Atlanta too, but this is a whole new level of heat. Ain't nothing like summer in Mississippi, honey, she said, exaggerating her southern twang. They finished eating. After he paid the bill, he walked Nia to her car. They hugged, and she felt wonderful against him, warm and firm, yet as soft and inviting as a favorite pillow. 
Her clean, feminine scent filled his nostrils and made him dizzy. She gave him her phone number and directions to her house. See you tonight, she said. Smiling, he watched her drive away. What a beautiful, intelligent woman. He could not wait to see her again that evening. His gaze traveled across the blue horizon and stopped at the old antebellum mansion. Jubilee. Sitting on the hill, it overlooked the town like a forbidden castle. His smile fell away. Junior Hodges had been working all day. Every Saturday throughout the spring, summer, and fall, Junior awoke at sunrise, and if it wasn't raining, went to the tool shed behind their trailer home, unlocked it, and rolled out his old John Deere lawnmower. He pushed his mower across town, making stops at each house on his list. That was good money in cutting grass. He'd earn anywhere from 10 to 25 bucks per yard. When he reached the end of his list, he usually made over $100, sometimes as much as 150 depending on how generous people were feeling and if he could squeeze in some extra lunch or quick jobs. Sometimes, kids made fun of him, calling him dumb, teasing him for being a 30-year-old man who made a living doing odd jobs like lawn mowing. Junior didn't let their mean words stop him. He'd push his mower through town cutting grass until he was an old man, God willing. He didn't dare tell those youngsters how much money he was making. He didn't want any competition. Still, sometimes the teasing hurt. He wondered whether they were right about him being dumb. Mama, when she was alive, used to say that he was special, and Junior had liked that. But Pop was one of the people who called him dumb. He had never done well in school, and had pretty much dropped out in the 10th grade. He could read a bit, and write things too, especially the names of people who were going to hire him for work, and jobs that he had to do. As far as math, he could add up how much money he'd made and subtract the cost of gas and other stuff to get at his profit. Mama had taught him to do that. She called it business math. She'd run a hair salon out of her house back in the day. But Junior knew that he could never be as smart as a guy like Doc Bennett, for example. That old guy was a walking, talking book. He cut Doc Bennett's grass every Saturday. And afterwards, if Doc was around and Junior had time to spare, Junior liked to talk to him and soak up everything he said and learn new words. He wasn't sure whether he was really dumb. And he figured he shouldn't worry about it too much. Though it bothered him every now and then. All he knew for sure was that he loved to work. One Sunday, Reverend Brown had spoken on how God respected the man who put in an honest day's work. Junior thought about that sermon whenever he felt bad about himself. He'd rather have the respect of God than a bunch of sassy kids. Around 3 o'clock that afternoon, Junior was rolling his mower along the sidewalk. He was a bull of a man, six foot three and coal black, with a large flat nose. He wore his favorite work overalls, a t-shirt, and work boots. His giant hands, curled around the push handle of the mower, were padded with calluses. It had been a steaming day, but he was used to the heat, having lived in Mississippi all his life. He couldn't afford to be lazy and stay in, waiting until it cooled off to cut his lines. There was too much money to be made. Sometimes, when it was especially hot, he imagined that he could see crisp dollar bills wedged between the blades of grass, and the image kept him motivated to suffer through the heat. He was saving money to buy himself a truck. He had seen a black Ford pickup sitting in the parking lot of Earl's used autos, and how he wanted it. With a truck of his own, he could get around to his jobs faster, 
and have time to do more work. And more work meant more money. The truck cost $3,000, and Junior had saved 2000 so far. He had only been able to save the money by putting it in a secret place in the trailer. Otherwise, Pa laid his hands on the money to borrow it. Pa never paid him back. Ahead, Junior saw the last house on his list for today, Vicky Queen's place. He always made her yard last, on purpose. Not only because it was on the way to the basketball court at the park, where he planned to go when he was done working, but because he liked to take his time at her place too. Her white Cadillac was parked in the driveway. She was home. His heart beat a little faster. He pushed the mower into the driveway, beside the Cadillac. He went up the steps to the front door, knocked. That you, Junior? A soft voice said from within. Yes, ma'am, Junior said. He wiped sweat from his forehead with a ragged handkerchief. I'm here to cut the grass. The door opened. Vicky Queen was so pretty it hurt to look at her. She wore a white blouse to showcase her ample cleavage, a tight black skirt that rose well above her knees and heels. The sweet scent of her perfume enveloped him like a mist. Her big eyes were precious gems. They sparkled. Junior smiled. You look real nice. You going to work today? I sure am, Junior. A queen has to work too, sometimes. She cracked a smile. You want some ice water, honey? Ice water will hit the spot. Come on in, then. He stood just inside the door while she sashayed into the kitchen. Her place was full of nice stuff. Leather furniture and expensive-looking vases and artwork everywhere. Folks said the Vicky Queen got mostly everything she owned, from her new Cadillac to her clothes to the plush things in her house, from the rich men she met while working at the casinos in Tunica. Junior didn't believe it was true until he rode his bike past the house one morning, on the way to doing a paint job, and saw a white limousine parked out front. But seeing it didn't change the way he felt about her. He had been in love with Vicky ever since they lived next door to each other, as kids. She was pretty, but she had always been so sweet to him, too. What she did with her life was none of his business. She was one of the nicest people he knew. Vicky came out of the kitchen with a dripping glass of ice water. She walked right up to him, never letting her lovely eyes leave his. His mouth got dry. He needed that water badly now. I can't stand to see a man go thirsty. She handed him the glass. Thank you, ma'am. She watched him closely as he drank. Sometimes, he wondered if Vicky liked him, as more than a friend. There was something about the way she looked at him. Nah, he was fooling himself. Vicky liked those high roller guys. He couldn't compete with them. He'd never be rich. He finished off the water and handed her the glass. Thank you for the water, ma'am. How many times I gotta ask you to stop calling me ma'am? I'm the same age as you, Junior. She smiled. Although she smiled, he couldn't tell if she was serious or not. He stammered. Uh, I'm sorry, ma'am. I, I mean, Miss Queen. Vicky. Vicky, he said. And the name sounded foreign rolling off his tongue. He never called her by her first name. And his heart beat a little faster. Well, uh, Vicky, I better get to work. You're welcome, Junior. You let me know if you need anything else. She battered her long eyelashes. Anything at all. 
I sure will. He felt her watching him as he went outside and started up the lawnmower. She acted funny sometimes. He wondered again if she liked him. But it seemed a crazy thought. He'd only get his feelings hurt if he kept thinking about it. A beautiful, classy lady like her would never want him. But as he mowed the lawn, he imagined himself driving that shiny black pickup with Vicky Queen sitting by his side. David was finishing the lawn when the police cruiser parked in front of the house. Although it was a quarter past four and the day had cooled by a few degrees, it was still the most intense humidity he had ever experienced. He'd worn an old Nike t-shirt and ragged denim shorts, and in a short time, sweat had glued the clothes against his skin. He'd drunk two bottles of water, too, and seemed to sweat it through his pores so quickly, his skin might have only been a sieve. While David worked in the yard, King watched him from the front window. The dog wanted to come outside, but it was too hot for the furry canine to spend much time outdoors. He'd take King for a walk later. David switched off the mower. The blades thumped in a silence. A stout officer stepped out of the vehicle. David crossed the yard to meet him, severed blades of grass clinging to his boots. Good afternoon, David said. How can I help you? The officer inclined his head to indicate Franklin Bennett's home across the street. Doc Bennett told me you moved here. Figured I'd stop by to welcome you to the town. My name's Van Jackson. I'm the chief of police. He extended his hand. The chief had a strong grip. Pleasure to meet you, chief. I'm David Hunter, but you probably know that already. Everybody else here does. News travels quickly in a small town, buddy. Jackson hooked his thumbs through the loops of his belt. With you being the boy of the only celebrity this town's ever produced, well, I thought that deserved a personal visit. I appreciate that, David said. As you can see, I'm getting things in order here. The grass hadn't been cut in a few weeks. You moving here for good, or are you just here to put things in order? I might be here for a year or so. I visited the town a long time ago, but I've never lived in the country. I grew up in Atlanta. Is that so? Nice city. I've been there myself to see the King Center and catch some Braves games, Jackson said. What kind of work do you do? I design websites. I'm self-employed, so I'll be working out of the house. Nothing like being your own boss, Jackson nodded with approval. I hope you like our town and stay a while. We haven't got enough young folks here. A lot of them split as soon as they graduate from high school. How long have you lived here? Me? All my life, buddy. My pa was chief before me, too. I ain't never wanted to live anywhere else. Did you know my father? Jackson leaned against the side of the cruiser. Nah, not that well. We chatted here and there, but Hunter, he liked his privacy, and I respected that. He had enough folks hounding him as it was. Like who? Oh, tourists mainly. They'd drive past the house here or try and catch him when he was walking. Nosy folks like that. I've seen a couple of cars cruise past the house since I've been here, David said. I ain't surprised. Kind of unfortunate way Hunter went, that's bound to draw more snoops than usual. You be sure to let me know if anybody causes you a problem. I sure will, he said. Is there much crime here? Jackson shrugged. Incidents here and there. Vandalism, shoplifting, 
Breaking up fights at the pool hall. And drugs. Drugs more than anything. Ain't just a big city problem anymore. They're everywhere. He sighed. His face, which already appeared perpetually sad, looked even more melancholy. Franklin says this town has a colorful history. Such the haunted house. <laughs> you mean the Mason place? Jackson's eyebrows arched. Someone moved in there. Are you serious? That old rundown house on the hill? Jackson folded his arms. Sure did. I couldn't believe it myself. I ain't stopped by to chat with a new resident yet. I might do that. I wonder who moved in there and why. I mean, if it really is haunted. Can't speculate, Jackson said, and David had the distinct impression that Jackson could speculate all right, but he wasn't going to share his ideals with a guy he only met five minutes ago, no matter whose son he was. Doc Ben is quite a man, Jackson said, but he's got some tales in that big brain of his. Folks love to swap stories, but that doesn't mean they're all true. I'll keep that in mind. Nice meeting you, Hunter. You take care and holler if you need anything. Thanks for stopping by, David said, but Jackson had already hustled into his car. He roared away down the road. David pushed a lawnmower to the tool shed behind the house. After he stored the machine inside, he stood in the middle of the backyard. Insects buzzed around him, reveling in the freshly cut grass. He waved them away. From where he stood, he had a glimpse of Jubilee. Sunshine glimmered on a window. Who would move into a place like that? The house was a wreck, and it was creepy as hell. Was it truly haunted, or had Franklin only been sharing a fabled piece of town lore? He was not sure he wanted to know the answers to his questions. I find it interesting that uh, in this book, the two characters that will become the impetus for the story, uh, David and Kyle, both came to Mason's Corner to find out their lineage, to learn more about their fathers. Um, it speaks to a ideal that a lot of people have who don't know their fathers or may have lost their fathers at a young age or may not know their parents, period. Who yearn to know more about their families, yearn to know more about why they are the way they are, regardless of what that may mean or what that may bring to them. Um, I really do enjoy this book and I'll be reading it throughout October. Like it's going to take that long. And I hope that y'all ride with me while I read this book, because it is such a lush and sensual love language to Mississippi and to uh, black people and also to the genre of horror like this book is the reason why when I talk about how black books deserve better from their editors this is the book that I'm pointing to this is the book that I'm going to hold up as that book it is impeccable it's perfect um and I hope that y'all do enjoy it because I, I want you to love it the way I do.
916-633-1537. Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com. Send me emails, you know, hit me up. Um, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, you can join the group over there. Um, you can leave a review on Podchaser. And then you can copy that review and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And then you can leave a review on Good Pods as well. I haven't gotten reviews in a while. And I know I deserve them. So please leave them. Also, uh, you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Um, as well as at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. And at Good Pods, you can go to our tip jar and leave a review there. Or leave a donation there after you leave a review. Um, the donations will go towards buying books. And also buying movies for my podcast, Hindsight. Um, thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate each and every one of y'all. Y'all be good. I'm going to you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name,